Good afternoon, I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to the show. This afternoon, well, let's just say, say the name Aaron Brockovich. And what do you think of? Strong, tough, stubborn, and definitely sexy. Aaron is all that and more. She is a modern-day David who loves a good brawl with today's Goliaths. She thrives on being the voice for those who don't know how to yell. She's a rebel, she's a fighter, she's a mother, she's a woman, she is you, and she is me. It's been 10 years since Julia Roberts starred in the Oscar-winning tour de force, Erin Brockovich. The film helped turn an unknown legal researcher into a 20th century icon. Since then, Erin hasn't been resting on her laurels, oh no. She continues to fight hard and win big. How did the movie come about? (laughs) It was a total fluke. I had really been in a car wreck, and I had ongoing shoulder and neck issues. And my sister kept telling me, you need to go see Pam. So I would go in to see Pam, and I would be laying on her table for an hour, and she would work on my head and my neck and my shoulders. I would often share stories with her about, you know, what was going on in Hinkley and collecting dead frogs and the biker dude. And, you know, she would always laugh and say, oh, my God, what a story for Hollywood. And I never thought anything of it because, A, she didn't tell me that she liked to write little scripts and submit them to her friend, B, Carla Schomburg, whose husband was Danny DeVito's partner at Jersey Film. Yeah. This afternoon, the one, the only, Aaron Brockovich, right now on Brent Holland. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to none other than Erin Brockovich. Her film that starred Julia Roberts was a blockbuster. Her story is profound and, most importantly, inspirational. And that's where we're going to go today with Erin Brockovich. Erin, for those of the folks that are listening right now, they may be unaware of the battle that you went up against. I was wondering if you can just give a brief synopsis to the folks. Well, a brief synopsis, this was a case involving a community out in a small desert town in California called Hinkley, California. And it sits up on Interstate 15 and it's midway in between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. So that can kind of give you a visual. Absolutely. And a large utility company, Pacific Gas and Electric, has one of their stations located there. They have them all along the pipeline coming in from Texas into Topak, California, all the way to Hinkley, to Kettleman, California. And what they're doing is pushing and pulling gas all the way up 
to the Canadian border. What they used in their plant was a chemical called hexavalent chromium, and it's been widely used. It's very cheap. It's very effective. It's very toxic. It's very dangerous. And this system where they still had unlined open pits, it's actually quite antiquated, and they've turned the systems over now way too late into more of a fan-cooled operation. But as this hexavalent chromium was added to the system, it went through it just kind of like the radiator of your car works. Mm-hmm. And the hexavalent chromium is a great anti-rust, anti-corrosion inhibitor. And then when it's gone through the system, it gets dumped into these unlined ponds with very high levels of hexavalent chromium, which ultimately leached into the groundwater aquifer that these people in this town of Hinkley used as their well water for swimming and showering and drinking in all purposes. And they were exposed to this chemical by inhalation, by ingestion, and by dermal absorption. And I suspect there was a high level of cancer. When I got involved in the case, I would listen to, as I met different people from different families, and they weren't discussing their health problems with each other. But I started to notice a pattern very quickly that were things like chronic nose bleeds, chronic respiratory problems, chronic skin rash, uh, chronic uh, comments about animals, tumors, and bizarre behavior. And I started noticing that pattern and thinking, okay, well, these people live out in the middle of nowhere. And they were just kind of passing the rashes off as the dry climate. They certainly thought that the nosebleeds were related to that. The respiratory problems weren't making any sense to me, but they were really out in the middle of nowhere. Yet everybody was, in a way, experiencing the same problems, which led me obviously further into the situation and of course started noticing lots of throat cancer, lots of lung cancer, lots of stomach cancer, colon cancer. And so the answer to that is yes, we certainly began to see a lot of that and some very strange like nasal pharyngeal cancers. And as I started working with experts, that would be something that was well correlated with inhalation exposure to chromium-6 and that specific type of disease. Now, this is a story that is very dear to our hearts because, as you know, we have the tar sands in Alberta in Canada. Mm -hmm. And already the tailing ponds are starting to show their effects. They are running into the main water streams downstream from the tar sands, and the cancers are starting to rise. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, www.brenthollandshow.com. You had interviewed all the members of this small town. Now, they were completely unaware that the chemicals were causing these problems. They had absolutely no idea. That hexavalent chromium had been used and that hexavalent chromium was in their water and making them sick. Mm-hmm. Now, when the one client that had originally contacted us, Roberta Walker, who PG&E had approached to buy out her house, what they were trying to do was very quietly buy up properties and get people out. Uh-huh. Now, they were trying to run out the statute of limitations, and they were actually very clever. And this is part of what is 
behind this for me when I began it was clearly I care about the environment. Most importantly, I cared about public health and safety. And these people were sick. Something was wrong. And it was being deliberately concealed and hidden. And as we got further into the case, and you could clearly look back on the situation, you could see where little things were being deviated to get people to believe that, for example, they were going to build a bridge and they needed to buy out people's homes. They weren't building a bridge at all. To setting up shop out there and having a fair and kind of letting people know that, well, there's chromium in your water and that it's a trivalent chromium and it's good for you and it's in your breakfast cereal and it's in your vitamins, never disclosing to them that it was hexavalent chromium, a known carcinogenic. So the people were misled, they were deceived, and they had no reason to question that, oh, it's a dangerous chemical and we have to get out of here. It was putting the pieces of a puzzle together. The breakthrough became when when we found out that it was clearly a chemical that this community Mm -hmm. did in fact become aware, they became informed, they began to use their voices, they began to talk, they began to share information, and we were able to start putting that together. And this is a problem that is going on not only in the United States, but around the world. Chromium-6 has been widely used. I am aware of problems with Chromium-6 in Canada, in the U.S., in Australia, in Ireland, in Italy, in Greece, in South Africa. And that's just one chemical. I think that we all are becoming clearly well aware that we have a very big problem and a very big bridge that needs to be gapped between communities, contaminated water, and what's going on with industry. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Erin Brockovich, and we're talking about her struggle against a company that was knowingly putting out toxic waste. And I was asking Erin, what was their excuse? I mean, they did it on purpose. They must have known the consequences of it. And what was the reaction to your accusations? They did know the consequences of it. And, you know, clearly, as I began to work with a lot of experts and engineers and geologists, I mean, there had been some long set rules back into the 50s about dumping hazardous waste into unlined ponds and what it could do. It became a cost issue for them. I mean, you know, this is an issue that all of us are going to have to address how it is we haul and dispose of our waste in the future properly. So uh, companies, they always trying to cut corners. And I heard you mention something earlier talking about morals and the morality of this issue. And it is a moral issue. And see, things like this don't have to happen. We've got to have a little bit of morality over money first. People are dying because of situations like this. And agencies can be absent because something is concealed, they're understaffed, they're underfunded, they have no authority. And this company, they didn't see me as a threat. They saw the attorneys probably more as a threat, but I also believe that their attorneys thought that they could actually beat this, that they could actually beat it on the science, that they could actually beat it on statute of limitations problems. And I don't know that Anybody really saw me as a threat. I think that there were people that just thought, you know, this is just a silly blonde in some short skirt running around out here in the desert, and what does she know? And for me, that was a lesson of we have to be very, very careful where our egos take us because they can be your major stumbling block. And I don't think that we should underestimate people. 
Oh, we do, and we often judge them based on what education they do and don't have and what they are and they aren't wearing. And this is part of my message that any one person in a community can uncover a lot of deceitful things that are happening and can begin to be the stewards of their health and safety, their neighbor's health and safety, their community, the environment, the planet. And if every single one of us did that, I think that our future would, in fact, be much, much brighter for our children and and what tomorrow is going to hold for them. That's beautiful, Erin. Folks, we're speaking with Erin Brockovich. One of the things that has always puzzled me, you know, it's very bizarre for me to think that there's people out there, fathers, mothers, working in companies like that, and they consciously know what they're doing is wrong, and yet they continue to do it even though they know they're causing ill effects to their neighbors in most cases, and perhaps even death. I've had a unique opportunity and a unique perspective over many, many years to be in and out of these different types of situations globally, and to try to look at uh, what it is that I see is the cause and why people are doing it. And I believe what happens is fear is a big factor. Hmm. Greed becomes a big factor. And I've also most recently began to look at why, because see, there's a lot of people that may know something's going on and they don't really come forth with it because they're tagged as a whistleblower. And we've given a whistleblower this negative connotation and it shouldn't be that way at all. We should feel good about saying the truth and helping to protect somebody else, especially when we know something is going wrong. More often than not, they won't say anything. Why? Because they'll get fired. And nobody wants to lose their job. We're all seeing the fallout of a bad economy right now. Everybody wants to have a job and earn a paycheck and feed themselves and their family. The morality and the psychology that goes on with these workers and these corporate CEOs. You know what? When these companies have these problems, I believe they need to get on the ground and they need to deal with these communities honestly and get them out of harm's way. And they've got to put that greed aside and they have to ask themselves some very, very, very deep questions. And I am one of those people, if I found out that a company I was working for was poisoning somebody or harming somebody and I was at risk of losing my job, you know what? Fire me because I don't want that job. And so we have to ask ourselves a lot of personal questions, a lot of moral questions. What's more important, a life or a paycheck? And when we do that, the money and the rewards will naturally come. And we've got to start doing things for the right reasons. So I believe that fear and greed are major motivators and we need to ask ourselves as individuals what is it that motivates you precisely and talk about motivation folks what an inspiring story Aaron Brockovich is our guest this afternoon something else you mentioned before I would like to touch on and that was the fact that you were ostracized you were just pushed aside because of your gender and your looks and you're an extremely good-looking woman let's face it I'm aged since then, my gosh, but thank you. I'm looking at your photo right now on the internet, and I'm blushing because you're so beautiful. And uh, honey, if you're listening, don't worry, I still love you. Not to worry. (laughs) (laughs) All that to say, Erin, there are probably a lot of folks out there right now that are listening that may be feeling the same way, partially due to gender, perhaps color, perhaps sexual orientation, whatever. What would you say to them? 
I know that people say things and stuff that hurt them, but, you know, we always have a choice. Every one of us, we can choose when we hear a comment to let us affect us. We can choose to not let us affect it. We can change our perceptions on how it is that we heard or we're going to take those comments. I've heard them all. And one thing that I learned was I grew up and education was hard for me because I'm a dyslexic. So I was labeled a lot of things. But what I learned was, see, that was their choice to see me as a loser. It didn't have to be my choice. And so I encourage people, if you face issues like that, don't let somebody else's words or thoughts or visions of how they see you become you because you can choose to see yourself differently. Life is so precious and it's a gift for all of us. It doesn't matter your party affiliation or the color of your skin or your gender or whether you're rich or poor. We're all entitled to that gift and none of us have any right to take that from somebody else. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? What, somebody's going to put you down? You know what? Get past that. Choose to see yourself as a strong person, as a leader, no matter what walk of life you are from. If you see a situation that's wrong, to make it right and just let all those things go by you. Many times I hear my mother's voice, and she died in my arms two years ago, and she always taught me, you know, Aaron, be a duck and let comments like that just roll off your back. Practice stick-to-itiveness. Have that pernacity and persistence and tenacity to move forward. Choose to see yourself as that leader, no matter what walk of life you were from, and be positive about who you are. You can change the way your life is. That's wonderful. What a beautiful thing to say. You know, I'm dyslexic as well. I see numbers backwards, but what I've done is I've turned that negative into a positive because when I look at my age, well, let me put it this way. This year I'm 25. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, this coming up year, I guess I would be five. Wonderful. (laughs) That's good. That works for me. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, www.brenthollandshow.com. What about your faith, Erin? Well, you know, um, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, my faith is so, I believe in God. I have a great deal of faith. I was raised in a family where we weren't in church every Sunday, and I was really raised with the freedom of how I saw that faith. I am unbelievably connected to just being in such awe of life and birth and death and the sun and every animal and every flower and every insect and every creature and everything that the earth has to offer us that we can sustain life on that that it's so big it's so powerful it's so awe-inspiring and for me that is god it's miraculous and it's wonderful and it's just worth relishing in and cherishing in and protecting and preserving and so faith is is something that exists so deep in our heart and I understand is is interpreted different for different people but for me it I am faith-based driven I believe and I have hope and I see this incredible planet and life we have and I am absolutely certain there is something so big and so wonderful out there for every one of us what are some of your life goals now you've achieved so much 
so much already. What are you working towards now? You know, I'm still doing a great deal of what I have always done, and that will be, that's just so true to my heart, and I think that water is just so much of where I see myself going. I grew up in Kansas, as I told you, and my father, oh my gosh, I remember him always telling me, water, someday, Aaron, it's going to become a commodity. Water, someday, I'm terribly, terribly disturbed that we could actually end up having wars over, is something that is in such danger that my focus is really going to be looking at conservation, cleanup, education, and awareness for all of us to sustain the very gifts of life in many regards. We cannot live without water. What happened in Hinckley and Aaron Brockovich in that story, and not me per se, but that story and where we're headed is so much more relevant today than it even was then. Because, you know, I put my finger in the dike to stop a flood, and I am reeling in the effects that there's tens of thousands of other floods opening up. The life-sustaining force of water, there's no question that it is going to be the hot commodity of the future. And it's something here, I'm in northern Ontario, maybe three hours north of Toronto, that we take for granted because there's so many lakes. There seems to be a lake every 10 feet. I don't see an abuse of the lakes, but certainly it is a clear water resource that should be monitored more closely. We are becoming so well aware that there are cyclical changes occurring. There's pollution occurring. And we have come so far as a society that if we can see an impending disaster, we can really begin to get prepared and do whatever it is that we can to hold back or reduce or prevent such a disaster. And I think this is important for, for students listening today. See that future card. It's right there in their very hands. And see, we almost have an opportunity here where we have a crystal ball. And you can see it coming. And to put those incredible, unique minds and gifts that many of them have to use, prevention's got to be the goal of the future. And and I think they hold that in their hands. And, you know, there's strong presidences that have already been established. And your story is certainly one of those on how to be prudent and how to take care of this natural resource. What are you working on right now? I consult and work with three firms and I am currently working on several groundwater contaminations in Florida, Missouri, and in Texas, and in California, and in Michigan, and in Australia. I'm also going to be writing two books. They're going to be legal thrillers because a lot of the work that I do can be scientific. and You know, you can lose somebody's attention through it is to write some legal thrillers based on true cases, but tell them in a way that is suspenseful, that could be capturing to the reader, that again could put down the book and go, wow, not only do I think that that could be me, that is me and get busy working to make some changes. So I'm getting ready to do that. I'm still out on the lecture circuit, and that continues to be one of my greatest parts of my work because it allows me an opportunity to continue to reach people and share stories, take a look at the world's problems and how we as individuals Mm -hmm. can begin to combat that. Every day we wake up, and it can be such a challenge, and we can get so overwhelmed that we just don't make that effort to try anymore. But if every one of us could just begin with ourselves, and realize ourselves and assess who we are and be motivated by ourselves in this life, then it becomes one big, huge, enormous domino effect. And then that one voice can become millions strong. And folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Erin Brockovich, of course, and she's on the lecture circuit. And I mention that specifically to you because if you are one of the powers that be in the universities that this show is broadcast into, here's a perfect person. Now, Erin, 
I suspect that when you lend your celebrity status to an issue, it becomes very prominent in the press, et cetera, et cetera. So that's got to help things. Has there ever been a case when your celebrity status has been attacked? In other words, just grandstanding or something to that effect? Oh, absolutely. That definitely mm. happens. That happened uh, in a situation here in California regarding a case that we filed that is on an appeal, and it happens to be involving Beverly Hills High School. Underneath the high school, there are 18 operational wellheads, which nobody knew about. And next door is an enormous power plant that actually used hexavalent chromium oh from God. the 60s into the 90s. We have about 450 former students, teachers, and residents of the area in a small time frame that have cancer. Oh, my God. And that is a situation where it was... You're grandstanding, it's about another movie, you're just rattling the parents, uh, you're going to destroy property values. So, yes, I do see that. It's like I told a reporter once, I said, if you really believe that I was driving down the Interstate 405 on a sunny day and I had nothing better to do than make up some story that 450 kids from Beverly Hills High School had cancer and there was 18 operational wellheads underneath it and I was going to do this so what, somebody make another movie? I'm sorry, you're crazy. I'm not. And there is a problem here and I'm going to continue to speak out about it and if you want to call me crazy, grand slamming, stupid, whatever it is, you go ahead. But I'm going to continue and give people facts so they can become informed citizens so that they can begin to make different choices that will protect themselves, their family, and their health and safety. Folks, we're speaking with Aaron Brockovich today. Aaron, how did the movie come about? <laughs> it was a total fluke. I had really been in a car wreck, and I had ongoing shoulder and neck issues. And my sister is a acupuncture doctor in Illinois, and she had a good friend who was a chiropractor. My sister had moved to New Mexico, and her friend moved here to California. And my sister kept telling me, you need to go see Pam. So I would go in to see Pam, and I would be laying on her table for an hour, and she would work on my head and my neck and my shoulders. I would often share stories with her about, you know, what was going on in Hinkley and collecting dead frogs and the biker dude. And, you know, she would always laugh and say, oh, my God, what a story for Hollywood. And I never thought anything of it because, A, she didn't tell me that she liked to write little scripts and submit them to her friend, B, Carla Schomburg, whose husband was Danny DeVito's partner at Jersey Film. Yeah. So as I'm telling her all these stories, one day she tells me, well, I've been sharing your stories with my friend Carla. She wants to meet you. Carla thought it was a joke, what, somebody in Stiletto Hills and a bustier and a short skirt running around being, what, the toxic Avenger? Oh, please. So I met Carla, and Carla was like, I can't believe this is going on. So she went to Danny DeVito and, and her husband, Michael, and long story short, they went to Universal Studios, and they ended up buying my rights, and um, along came Steven Soderbergh and Julia Roberts, and a few years later, a film, and... That's how the whole thing started. You happy with the film? I am happy with the film. You know, Ed and I, with our spouses, saw it together for the first time privately, and Ed was happy with how, you know, my character was portrayed, and I was happy with how Ed's character was portrayed. We were pleased with the story of PG&E and what happened in Hinkley mm -hmm. and that had been told. Certainly from my perspective, what was going on in my life as a single mother, 
how I got my job, the biker dude, George, the children, all of that, very factual. And Ed and I felt that the circumstances of PG&E and what had gone on out there and how the story was told was probably 95% very accurate. So we were pleased. Will you please come back anytime you want? It's an open ah. invitation. Thank you. I would. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. I want to thank you so much for your continued work towards the environment. Folks, Erin Brockovich, extraordinary, extraordinary woman. All the very best to you. The best to all of you. And thank you so much. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Bye now. I want to thank Erin Brockovich for coming to the show today and sharing with us her incredible story and all that inspiration. What an incredible woman. Coming up on Brent Holland, we take you right to Haiti. David Toyson joins us. He's the president of World Vision. He is going to tell you stories of incredible inspiration and incredible hardship. He's going to tell us how each one of us can help, in our own way, the recovery of this wonderful country, Haiti. I just had a moment to stop and take in the scene. And this, this is what it looked like. I was looking first at a man being treated by our volunteers. Then off to the left, a man walked up with a 12 or 13-year-old child who was hideously malnourished. My eye turned a little further. There was a casket being carried up the street with a stream of mourners behind them. Then I looked further off to the side, and there was the body of a young woman who had died it appeared to me had been lying on the ground for hours. There was no place to take her body. And then the last thing I saw, I was walking out. I looked to the side of a couple. The wife was laying on the door, and the man had put up, he was obviously an artist, a beautiful painting of Haiti with sunlight across it. It was gorgeous. All these images, and that's what we were dealing with right from the beginning in Haiti. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.